Welcome to the Res Life Podcast with Dr. Chris Riley and Dr. Alex Schuper, the medical podcast for those at any stage in the medical field, from pre-med students through attending physicians and anyone else who wants to learn more about the field of medicine. Make sure to subscribe, like, and comment on this video to provide feedback on medical topics you would like to learn more about. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Res Life Podcast. Dr. Schuper back in the house. Uh, I'm Dr. Riley, or Chris, as my close friends call me. Uh, he is Alex, as some of his close friends call him. Uh, he's coming from New York City right now. There's a little background on the Zoom, Mount Sinai. Um, and for you out there who are not familiar with the podcast, Dr. Schuper is currently a PGY3 neurosurgeon at Mount Sinai. Uh, I'm currently a second-year emergency medicine resident down in Tampa Bay. Uh, and we're talking about all sorts of topics, but today we're going to be talking about the NRMP match for 2022 and some of our reactions to some of the data that's been released by the NRMP. Uh, Dr. Schuper, first of all, how's everything going, man? I heard you're on a very tough rotation right now. You want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, good to be back, Dr. Riley. Everything's going well. Um, I'm finishing up a very intense supravascular rotation, which is one of our harder rotations. We're a very busy supravascular center in New York City, dealing with everything from strokes to ruptured aneurysms to ABMs, et cetera. So it's a busy rotation. I've learned a ton. It's been a really great experience. And yeah, it's been a, a very, very busy three months. So I apologize, guys. We haven't been as active in the podcast lately as we, we would like to be. But between Dr. Riley and I, we both have been pretty caught up with work lately. So it's nice to finally get this under our belts and very timely now that the match just finished up, which I know has been everyone's focus for the last couple months. Yeah. Um, do you want to give a little bit of uh, your experience as somebody, you know, involved in the interview process from the other side now? I know you guys matched uh, your spots, which is really cool. Absolutely. We, so it's a little different depending on specialty. Um, for example, in emergency medicine, where there are over 2,000 people who match every year in neurosurgery, we only have between two and 300 every year match across the whole country. Um, the average number of spots per institution who has a neurosurgery residency is two, um, between two and three. We, our program currently is two residents a year. Um, hopefully, I'll change to three soon. But um, it's, it's very selective, obviously. Um, personality and fit are huge, especially in surgical subspecialties or specialties where we only take a couple residents. Um, you can't really get by with a personality that doesn't fit well in the program if you only have two residents a year. So everyone has to fit really well with the culture. Um, it's a very intense process, obviously. At our program, we it depends on the year, but we usually interview around, say, 45 applicants for two spots. Wow. Which is pretty standard for neurosurgery. It boils down to maybe 20 to 30 spots or 20 to 30 applicants interviewing per spot. And in neurosurgery, most applicants apply to a lot of programs, especially a lot of the top half programs. So, if for example, if there are 300 applicants a cycle, we may get we may get, for example, 250 plus applications. And of those, it then boils down to, say, 45, 50 applicants that we interview. And then 
will rank a good number of people who will interview and this will also include our home students and then um, we put in our, our rank list and then the match algorithm gives us our our two spots um, so we we're very fortunate this year we matched two fantastic women um, so we're, we're really excited one being a home student and one being a student uh, from another program um, both of which were highly regarded and uh, we viewed very highly so it was a very successful match for us this year but that's how about emergency medicine that's awesome can you tell us a little bit about the process i know it's a little different different in a larger subspecialty yeah. So, you know, emergency medicine, much larger subspecialty, um, EM in general, I'd say has always had a lot of people applying, um, for not many spots, uh, but actually over the past like five to 10 years, there've been a ton, uh, of new programs popping up. Um, my home program is actually in its fourth year right now. So technically mine is one of these newer kind of programs. And, you know, the problem with that is that when you have more uh, of these programs opening up, the fear is in emergency medicine specifically right now is that there is an over, um, overabundance of ER docs in the future. And the projections say that in the next 10 years, there's going to be a surplus and, you know, people are going to be losing jobs, et cetera. And this is one of the things that played into this year's 2022 match. EM in general is very competitive. Um, you know, the year I applied, I did everything. I went above and beyond, you know, did really well on my step exams. Uh, even as a USIMG, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a big feat to actually match into emergency medicine because it is considered, a, you know, a competitive specialty. But... I believe that over the past, you know, couple years of COVID, the pandemic, people seeing how ER docs have been treated, um, the lack of resources, the overusing of PPE, the burnout rates, and on top of all of that, you also see this surplus in the distance, um, you know, that would probably be seen as kind of a, uh, I don't know if it's the right thing to apply to EM as a med student. Me personally, I'm very happy with my choice. I love being an ER resident and I cannot imagine being in anything different going forward. Um, but this year, the number of positions that were actually available in emergency medicine were 2,921. The number filled was 2,702, which left 219 unfilled spots. Now, that is something that never happens in emergency medicine. Um, previous years, maybe a few unfilled spots that people could soap into, which is the supplemental uh, offer and acceptance program. Uh, I talked about that on the last podcast with Manny Morakino. Um, but this is pre-soap. So this is the actual match. So there were 219 unfilled spots. But then over the week, you know, the soap does its thing. People will match in. Um, so, you know, they will fill a majority of those spots. But it is kind of worrisome to see that there were 219 spots open. And again, I, I don't know if, you know, this obviously is not your specialty and it's not something that you've really thought about too much. But Dr. Schuper, when I'm, when I, what I'm saying in terms of uh, my explanation for this, do you, do you agree with that? Do you think it's definitely the pandemic and 
this surplus scare and, and the burnout that these medical students are seeing, or could it be something else? It's definitely really interesting. Uh, I've talked to a few people about this, that this is maybe not a totally unexpected trend, but a trend we haven't seen too commonly in emergency medicine. Every year across the board, you have hundreds of unfilled spots in family medicine and internal medicine and um, non-categorical medicine specialties like that. Um, but to have over 200 unfilled spots in emergency medicine, which for the past couple of years, people have considered more of a lifestyle, more of a competitive specialty, I think was kind of unprecedented. But I think it's multifactorial. I think you bring up a lot of good points. I think COVID has had a huge impact on emergency medicine. Um, it really showed all of us providers and medical students, pre-meds alike, that emergency medicine doctors are really on the front line. They always have been, but I think this really exploited it. And for something scary like a viral pandemic, mm-hmm. especially if before knowing that we have a vaccine and an accurate coverage, that you are fed to the wolves and you are literally on the front line of, of some of these terrible diseases, I think really scared people. And it showed people that you know, you're really exploited like physically as, as a emergency room doctor. And it's an incredibly tough position, which again, I think everyone kind of that, but we didn't see a real, real-time example of it. And I think, I think it scared a lot of applicants, frankly, that a lot of applicants who may have wanted to go into emergency medicine's impact of COVID and may have switched to another medical or surgical subspecialty. Um, so I think that's one reason. I think burnout has played a huge role in emergency medicine. There are a lot of subspecialties that have really been highlighted in case uses of, of burnout in emergency medicine is either the top or in the top couple subspecialties. I mean, every year I've seen that emergency medicine doctors have the highest rates of burnout. And it's a, it's a tough job, right? It's shift work. It can be a thankless job. Um, you deal with a lot of suboptimal situations. Um, you don't have the same continuity of care that a lot of providers have. Um, for example, when we are going to operate on a patient, we see them before surgery, obviously during surgery, and then we follow them for months to years after. It can be very gratifying. We build relationships with these people and their families. Emergency medicine, you often don't have that continuity of care. And the patients who you end up getting to know the best, you really, not to generalize, but tend to not be the most grateful of patients, tend to not be the patients who are choosing to come see you as their provider, right? It's more of a necessity. For example, someone who doesn't have good access to, to basic primary care needs or to pain medicine and in a case of a chronic pain patient, um, just as some case studies, but um, it can be a thankless job. And I think between that, just the, the really tough work conditions and anyone who's spent time in the emergency room can tell you it's not, not always the best place to work. Um, I can tell you as someone who works in a hospital in a very busy emergency room in the middle of New York City, it can be treacherous. Um, you, sometimes you feel like you're at war being down there on a Friday night when you have over, you know, hundred, 150 people in the emergency department. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. Um, like physically climbing over patients to get to the person I'm trying to see. Right? Yeah. It, it, it can be ruthless sometimes. And, and it's a really tough place to work for long hours. And so I think that plays a big role. And then, um, finally, uh, another reason, and, and I don't have any real data to support this, but I do think as especially with the pandemic, we've seen really a surplus of these urgent care centers and other access to primary care resources. 
And I do think that that has played a role in shuffling some of the business away from emergency medicine. I think people who may have otherwise come, whether insured or uninsured, who may have otherwise come to the emergency department for some maybe primary care needs or basic non-urgent or non-critical needs um, may now be going to urgent care centers or different primary care facilities so that they don't have to go to the emergency department. I think as I think this market has really taken off over the past five, 10 years. And I think part of that has led some volume away from the emergency departments. So again, it's just a theory. Um, I'm not sure. I think in the next five, 10 years, we'll really see if this trend continues. But I think for some of these reasons, it has stirred applicants away from the specialty. But any, yeah. anything you'd like to add to that, Dr. Riley? Just some numbers. I was looking at some of the NRMP data um, and the positions offered in the matching program from 2018 to 2022. Emergency medicine has steadily increased every year. Um, and this is part of the scare of, you know, are we going to have a large surplus of emergency medicine doctors where, you know, we have all these underserved areas and all these populations out in the Midwest or, you know, in the middle of nowhere, these people need docs, you know, there's always going to be a need for that. But when it comes to desirable places to live, it's going to be difficult to find jobs. Um, the numbers from 2018, there were 2,278 positions offered. And this year, 2022, 2,921. So, you know, that's, that's pretty that's pretty substantial, I think. Um, that's hundreds and hundreds of applicant spots. And that's only over the past four years. And that is where a lot of the scare came in. Um, and I believe that's a huge reason why the, um, the match this year had 219 unfilled spots, in addition to, you know, a global pandemic over the past two years where the burnout was ridiculous. The amount of people that you know, I, I sentenced to death basically on a daily basis during the Delta wave and the original wave. Um, it, it was disturbing. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it took a, it took a toll on my mental health for sure. Um, luckily our program and emergency medicine residencies in general are really focusing on resident wellness. Um, so, you know, I know how I practice wellness, which is through my different outlets, such as this, which is fun for me. Um, audio recording, editing, writing music, working out, uh, just keeping my mind outside of work when I'm outside of work or having projects to do. Um, and in general, yeah, that's pretty scary. The pandemic was terrifying. Um, Dr. Schuper, you know, he was there when it first started. Um, he was actually at Elmhurst Hospital as an intern um, and he was working in the ER and he said it was scary. Uh, and I believe him. Um, you know, when I first started, I mean, literally I, my emergency medicine, half of my time in emergency medicine residency has been dealing with, you know, these waves and, uh, it, it's definitely tiring. Um, so that absolutely is going to contribute to it too. Uh, like Dr. Schuper also said with the urgent care dilemma, I think we're probably at a plateau in terms of how many more they can actually, you know, create. Um, and things like Medicare, Medicaid patients will always come to the ER for their primary care if they don't have a primary care doctor. Um, and that's just how it goes because, you know, they'd be paying 
to actually be at the urgent care and a lot of that insurance is not covered at the urgent care. So with that being said, I think that's pretty much, I, I really can't think of any other reasons, um, you know, when we're talking about this right now. But those are a little bit of uh, a little bit of feedback on the NRMP match results this year. Obviously, the one that was the most shocking was emergency medicine. But now that we talked about it a little bit, I don't really think it's that shocking, um, you know, to have that many unfilled spots. Um, I have not checked the data for post soap um, to see if all of those spots were filled. I'm sure you know they had a good amount of those spots filled. Because again, there's always someone out there looking to match into something, right? Um, my question is, does that take away from the applicant? Because maybe that applicant was never interested in emergency medicine, and now they matched into an emergency medicine residency. Um, and that can be scary, you know, because, you know, maybe this person has no interest in emergency medicine. But anyway, that's a little run through the NRMP match. For everybody who matched, big congrats. For everyone who didn't, you know, there's always next year. Um, there's different ways you can help improve your application, research, um, reaching out to different programs or people involved with certain programs that you can work with, um, gain experience with, volunteer with. Um, Dr. Schubert, do you have anything else to add? No, I mean, I think these are all great points. If you're someone who did not match this year. We've recorded a couple podcasts at this point of ways to improve application where we spend like hours going through kind of the different strategies in terms of board preparation. If you haven't taken your boards, you need to retake your boards. Say uh, improving your research profile and your pedigree um, in academics, whether it's through basic science or translational or clinical research. Um, getting a dual degree um, or a further advanced degree, whether it's MPH or MBA, or different ways just to diversify your application. Um, we, we talk about this at length. Um, if there's further interest in it, we can also do another application specific, or sorry, um, another podcast specifically geared at improving your application in terms of different ways to bolster it, um, specifically if you're a non-traditional candidate, if you're an IMG, if you're from a DO program, or your reapplicant. I think these are all hot topics that a lot of people fall under that don't aren't commonly spoken about. But I think there are a lot of good strategies. Um, regularly on social media, I'm talking to a few applicants who a couple of people who did match into neurosurgery this year, who I'm kind of taking through the mentoring process and helping them bolster their applications and strengthen them for next year. Um, for example, um, we also have a pre-residency program at Mount Sinai. Um, there are a lot of other neurosurgery programs that do as well. For example, University of Miami, um, where we take several often IMGs, um, but also the U.S. grads who either didn't match into neurosurgery or want a clinical year of neurosurgery before starting residency. And so when some of these applicants don't match into neurosurgery, we often help them with helping them gain more publications and a better operative experience and become um, gaining technical skills in the operating room, things that will translate into a stronger application when they apply to neurosurgery. So uh, there are a lot of things you can do. The, just because you didn't get in this year doesn't mean your path ends here. There are many more strategies you can use. Uh, we applicants match all the time. We had someone from our 
um, our institution, who's a reapplicant who matched you a fantastic top neurosurgery program this year. It's definitely possible you can do it. You just have to figure out where the gaps are in your application, what you need to do to strengthen them. So there are definitely ways. Um, but yeah, feel free to always use this as a resource if you guys have any questions. Yeah, and like Dr. Schuper said, always reach out. Um, you know, I, I get DMs on in Instagram um, asking about how to apply, what I should be doing to improve my application. I'll get it from reapplicants. And again, you know, just because you did not match this time doesn't mean it's a failure. There's always next time and there's always a way to improve. And where there is a will, there is a way. So keep your head up if you did not match. But if you did, congratulations. And um, if you guys want to check out another podcast that we did in the past, we talk about what you should be focusing on now that you have matched. Um, obviously, it's relax and, you know, just hang out, chill. Uh, take it easy for your fourth year, the rest of fourth year, now that you matched. But also, we give you some pointers and tips to actually take advantage of before you start up residency. So, until next time, guys, uh, this is the Red Res Life Podcast. Uh, Dr. Schuper, thanks for joining me as always, and we'll see you guys next time.